Hello and welcome to Radical Candor, a podcast from Panoply and Gretchen Rubin's Onward Project about how not to hate the boss you have or be the boss you hate. I'm Russ Laraway, co-founder of Candor Inc. and a career-long operational manager across the Marines, Google, and Twitter. And I'm Kim Scott, also co-founder of Candor Inc. and author of Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity. You've got a peacenik and a Marine. <laughs> and so today... What we're going to focus on is radically candid criticisms. Giving radically candid criticism. Not getting it, not (laughs) encouraging it, giving it. And along the way, we're going to explain the radical candor approach to criticism. We're going to share some stories, the most impactful feedback we've ever received. And we're going to give you concrete tips in the candor checklist. All right, Kim, let's dive in with our approach to criticism. Yes, If you remember last episode, we introduced the ideas of caring personally while also challenging directly. And really, that's super important when giving feedback, but we just want to acknowledge that it's really, really hard. It seems pretty hard, and it's surprisingly rare. But part of the way you build a relationship with somebody is is by letting them know that you care about what they're doing, even if you disagree with it. Yeah, because by not challenging people directly... You're sort of doing them a disservice, right? Yes. The point is that your whole goal is to help people get better. And if you're not telling them when you see a problem, then they can't fix it. So today we're going to talk about giving criticism because that's the thing that people dread the most, not because it's the most important. Yeah. And really radically candid criticism. Yes. So, Russ, you have this great story about a time when you were leading how many people? How, how many? I guess they were all men, huh? It was, it was all men. How then. many of them were there? Yeah, 175. 175 men. And one of, one of your, I can hardly say it, one of your people made a terrible mistake. He did, yeah. And so maybe just to set a little bit of context for this story, the Marine Corps has a pretty different idea of accountability than I think most people are used to. And it's summarized by the idea that you are responsible for everything your organization does or fails to do. That holds true for a 50-year-old general in charge of thousands and thousands of Marines, just as it holds true for a 19-year-old corporal who's in charge of maybe three other Marines. You are responsible for everything that your organization does or fails to do. Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a, it's a really high bar for accountability, especially in a life or death environment like the Marine Corps. So, um, Normal Marine Corps life, day in, day out, basically what your job is every day is to train, right? This is when you're not in combat. And your job is to train. They call this garrison. And um, at the end of each day, when it's time for the Marines to go home, basically one thing needs to be true. You need to have a full accountability for every single weapon and every single piece of serialized gear. On Fridays, though, there's an extra special thing that needs to happen, which is the person in charge, in this case me, has to give all 175 Marines a safety brief. And so that safety brief usually sounded something like this. Men, wear a condom. Men, don't drink and drive. And if you're going to drink at all, make sure to drink in moderation because you do really dumb stuff when you get drunk. And that's basically it. And I gave that same safety brief every single Friday before letting the Marines go away for the weekend. And they'd all jump in their cars and they'd go to Vegas and Los Angeles and San Diego and even Mexico. And so one weekend on a Saturday night, I get a phone call where uh, the officer on duty at our organization called and said, sir, we got a problem. 
I said, well, what's that problem? He said, one of your Marines got drunk and they punched a cop. I was like, oh, man, that's not good. And I said, well, uh, is he in jail? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, where is he? And he said, he's in Mexico. Just got better. Yeah, just got better. This is a big problem for everybody. This is embarrassing to the base. This is at Camp Pendleton in California. It's embarrassing for my boss, his boss, everybody's boss right on up the chain, uh, probably including like the mayor of San Diego as well. So this Marine's going to be in a lot of trouble, and he's going to get a really, really strong uh, punishment come Monday morning. So I'm ready for that. I have to do some fact-finding over the weekend, things like that. Monday morning, get a call to go see my boss. This is the colonel. His name's Colonel John Boggs. Great guy. Taught me an awful lot. And uh, usually this meeting is a few stakeholders that have an opinion about the punishment for this Marine. But in this case, it was only me. A little bit unusual. So Colonel Boggs says, Captain Laraway, I got a question for you. I said, what's that, sir? And he said, What's going on over there in Alpha Company, which was my organization. It was called Alpha Company, 175 Marines. I said, well, sir, I, you know, I don't know what this guy was thinking. Um, you know, he obviously regrets it. He knows he made a huge mistake. I, I can't even imagine what was going through his head. Colonel said, nope, that's not quite what I meant. What, I, I want to know what's going, over, going on over there in Alpha Company. I was like, oh, well, his buddy, the Marines are totally worried for their buddy. They know he's going to totally get busted here. And uh, they're scared to death for their friend. And at that point, he had a look on his face where he said to himself, I can see I'm not getting through to this guy. And what he said next was sort of the message he really meant to deliver. And so he asked me. This is the radical candor moment. This is the radical, radical candor, candor moment. Radical candor for Russ. Yeah. Not for the dr Marine who got drunk. Radical candor for Russ. Remembering that I'm responsible for everything my organization does or fails to do, including getting drunk in Tijuana and punching a cop. Colonel Bog says... I need you to tell me why your leadership is so weak that your Marine thought it was okay to go to Mexico, get drunk, and punch a cop. So weak leadership. That's like not what you're gunning for in the Marines, I'm guessing. There's, there's sort Nothing of worse in the top be. three things prized in the Marine Corps. Leadership is number one, and, and second is like marksmanship. About the worst accusation that could be cast your way is that your leadership is weak. So you must have felt crushed. Yeah, that was pretty that was pretty tough. I mean, I just wasn't quite ready for it. And it just wasn't that it wasn't that easy to hear, you know, especially because I wasn't quite ready for it. What was your relationship with him? Like, how did he deliver it in a way that you could hear it? Right. Because it would be easy to shut down in the face of that kind of criticism. Yeah. So my, my relationship with Colonel Boggs was pretty darn good, I would say. Uh, this is a really good guy, a really, really good Marine. Like one time my, I was on a deployment and you just don't go home on deployments. We're overseas somewhere. And my father had had a heart attack. And this might normally be a case where in almost any other context, it makes complete, of course, you're going to go home. But when you're on deployment in the Marines, that's not exactly something you could take for granted. But Colonel Boggs made it absolutely clear to me, look, you need to get home. We're going to make sure you get home one way or another. And I didn't need to go, but on that same deployment, my grandfather died, which was just crazy. And wow. again, same thing. Colonel Boggs made sure, look, if you need to get home, we'll make sure you get home. And of course, of course, for that, I did. And so the guy just over time systematically demonstrated that he gave a damn about the people on his team, right? Every chance he got, he was making that clear. So when he sits there and asks me why my leadership is so weak, 
It's set in this long-standing context of deep personal caring that he'd exhibited for all of his guys. Wow, that's intense. Really is intense. Um, but it worked. I mean, the thing that I didn't, I didn't really give sort of the end of the story, which is, uh, I think for many people, when they hear that story, they think, wow, that was really harsh. And um, that guy that went to Tijuana, got drunk and punched a cop, that's an adult who made a bunch of his own decisions. And while I think on the one hand, that's a fair way for most people to think about it. And the Marines, you're responsible for everything your organization does or fails to do. And what I realized was that I was sort of mailing in that weekly safety brief. And by doing the same thing over and over and over, I mean, you tell me what you think a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-old young men are thinking if I'm saying the same thing every Friday. You tell me what you think they were hearing. That's exactly that. They heard (laughs) Charlie Brown's teacher. That's what they heard. And so if you think about it, wow, you know, I could go back and revise my safety brief. There were actions I could take to make that message hit home a little harder for those Marines. And after that, I did that. And, and I'm not sure that this is the exact reason, but I can say we never had another major incident. No, nobody ever punched a cop in Tijuana again. So, Russ, that's such a powerful story about a boss that you had who wasn't afraid to tell you something you really needed to hear, but made it possible for you to hear it by having shown you over the course of weeks and months that he really cared personally. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, I think you have a story that makes the point that it doesn't always take years and months yes. to demonstrate that you care personally. Is that is that that's, coming up next? That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. For me, the radical candor origin story came from something that a perfect stranger said to me. I was living in Manhattan at the time, and I it was just after 9-11, and my response to 9-11 was to get this puppy, golden retriever puppy, cutest dog in the world, and I adored this dog. I loved this dog so much that I had never said a crossword to it, and as a result, the dog was completely out of control. Yeah, now it's, I've met Belvedere, yes. and this is about Belvedere. Yes. Um, yeah, and Belvedere, uh, you know... Having met her many times there in the offices at Google, I'd sort of agree. Totally out of control. Training wasn't her strong yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't It wasn't my strong suit. <laughs> it wasn't her fault. It was my fault, right? That's the point. But anyway, Belvedere was long care personally and, and short challenge directly. And as a result, she was totally out of control. So I'm walking along with her and... She jumps in front of a cab. I pull her out oh of the gosh. way just in the nick of time. So she's she's almost just been flattened, this sort of emotional life raft. So I'm standing there on the street with my heart in my throat. <laughs> and this man, perfect stranger, looks at me and he says to me, I can see you really love that dog. That's all he has to say to move up on the care personally. Access. And you don't know this guy at all? No, perfect stranger huh. standing at a red light. And I look up at him because I'm four feet tall and everybody's taller than me. And, and I said, yes, I do. And that's all he has to do to move up on the care personally access. He doesn't have to know the names of my children. He doesn't have to have taken me out to lunch. Just I can see you really love that dog. Yeah, three seconds. That's all he has to do. And then he looks at me and he says... But you're going to kill that dog if you don't teach it to sit. Ouch. Right? Yeah. Now he's got my full attention. And then he points to the ground with this very sort of harsh gesture, what I would consider a harsh gesture. And he says, sit. And the dog sat. 
I had no idea Belvedere even knew what that meant. I was astounded. And and so I looked up at him kind of in amazement, like, what the hell just happened? And he says to me, it's not mean, it's clear. And the light changed, and the man walked across the street, leaving me with words to live by. And you, you heard those words a bunch of times. Yeah, right? that's an amazing story. I, actually, one question I've always wanted to ask you, and I figure I might as well just go ahead and ask you now, is could you try to replay that? What if he didn't start with, I could see you really love that dog? What if he came up to you and led with, if you don't teach that dog to sit, you're going to get it killed? What, yeah. do, what do you think would happen? Well, uh, I don't think you would like me telling you in front of all these people what I would have said, right? I, you know, I was it was the streets of New York. I would have said, F- you. That's what would have happened. <laughs> so, so or, or said differently, it might have been really hard for you to hear the feedback from the guy if you hadn't just taken that three-second step to demonstrate that he sort of empathized with your position and say, look, I can really tell you love that dog. Exactly. Would have been, would have been impossible for me to hear what he had to say. Because I would have just thought he was a meddling jerk. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, we know that you've had these moments too, our listeners. So do you have a story about good or bad feedback moment uh, that you want to share with us? If you do, write to us at podcast at radicalcandor.com or call us at 2626-CANDOR. That's 2626-CANDOR. And now let's get into this week's candor checklist, concrete tips that you can start using right away as soon as you finish listening. Our first tip, just take a moment to show that you care, to establish a human bond. I just can't help but think about what that guy said to you on the street before he told you about how you need <laughs> to train gonna your dog. I was going to kill my dog, right. <laughs> yeah, I can see you really love that dog. You know, Russ, I think this is also something that you are exceptionally good at doing, at, at just taking a second to, to show you care, to establish that human bond. I think I tend to stress out a little bit and go, get so focused on the results or, or whatever it is I have in mind that I forget to do things like do introductions when we start a <laughs> meeting with people. It's embarrassing. So what, what's the secret? How, how do you always have this top of mind, this human bond thing? Yeah, I don't know. By the way, I think you're probably a little bit too hard on yourself on this. Um, I, I don't know what the secret is, actually. I, I tend to be sort of in a world where I'm acutely aware of what I think people are feeling around me and just really, really sensitive to that. And so it actually feels it's actually for me a little bit anxiety inducing to not take that little step uh, to demonstrate that I sort of care about these people around me. I'm, I'm not exa- I think I probably get it from my mom, who cares an awful lot about people in general. Uh, but I couldn't tell you exactly if there's a secret other than I'm just sort of I'm just sort of generally always aware of what people around me are feeling and, and, and maybe what people around me are thinking. So throughout this podcast, we'll sort of operationalize Russ for for you all. Another another tip that I find really helpful is don't sugarcoat it. The best way to challenge somebody directly is to be really specific about what was great. Remember, feedback is not just criticism, it's praise too. So be really specific about what was great or be really clear about what it is that needs improvement. So one of the things that your commander did, I think, that was so powerful 
is that he really talk about not sugarcoating it. He said, your leadership is weak. Yeah. I mean, he didn't even put artificial sweetener on it. I mean, it was, <laughs> right. there was no, there's no sugarcoating, no right. artificial sweetener. He didn't even try. That's amazing. Such a good story. Yeah. And the third tip, do not offer a feedback sandwich. Some so- people call this the poop <laughs> sandwich. Some people call it the merd sandwich. And some people use some other word for it. Yeah. Another word that we're not going to use um, because <laughs> it's not family safe. Um, and the reason why this is a bad idea, and so the feedback sandwich, just to be, just to clarify, is sort of this idea that before delivering a piece of criticism, you should first deliver a piece of praise, then the criticism, and then a piece of praise. So the praise is like the bread, the criticism's like the meat, therefore the sandwich metaphor. There's a couple reasons why this is a bad idea. First, I think generally people get confused that care personally equals praise. Just, yeah, but caring personally, you can show that when you offer criticism, too. You yeah. should share, show it. In fact, yeah. And in fact, uh, in both our stories, um, care personally really has nothing to do with praise. But the bigger issue with that feedback sandwich, I think, is that it really obfuscates the message. If what you really intend to do is deliver some criticism, you run a really big risk of having someone not fully hear that message when you sort of buttress it on either side with praise. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Uh, it, it's it's another version of sugarcoating. It, yeah, it's another version of sugarcoating. And, and by the way, that doesn't do praise justice, right? And praise is really important, right? That's the time when you get to show people what success looks like. It's a time when you get to demonstrate what you value. And by the way, don't worry. In future episodes, we're going to give you praise tips too. Um, since we told you last week to give three times as much praise as criticism, we think it's probably pretty important to do that. Um, but <clears throat> those are all the reasons why I sort of think the feedback sandwich just kind of needs to go away. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Makes me gag. <laughs> <laughs> so as a reminder, stories are everything. We want to hear your stories. When did you get some feedback that was really hard to hear, but really helpful? Or when did you get some feedback that you just thought was totally off base and terribly delivered? We want to hear your stories. And as always, feel free to share your questions with us, as well as disagree with us. Tell us where you think we're wrong. Yeah, we can take it. We can take it. We're good at it. And or we think we're good at it anyway. We'll find out <laughs> depending find on out. how much you disagree find out with if us. We're good at it. Yeah, write to us with all this stuff at podcast at radicalcandor dot com or call us at two six two six candor. And that's it for radical candor. Our producer is Kristen Meinzer. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Our theme song, which I love, is written and performed by Cliff Goldmacher. Our website is www.radicalcandor.com. And the Radical Candor book is available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Book Passage, and your local bookseller. I didn't write it, but I love it. I wrote it. And And I love love it, too. (laughs) If you like the show please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment whenever you subscribe. It helps other people discover our show. I'm Kim Scott. And I'm Russ Laraway. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>